Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Everyone is in Their Offices edition of the Monday <laughs> check-in. Um, we are like literally sitting 12 feet apart from each other, but we can't see each other because there's a wall in the middle of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, secretly, it's not Monday. Uh, it's secretly... Wednesday. I'm I'm pulling back the curtain. I don't yeah, care. I, I figured you were we were just gonna post it and call it a Monday check-in, but okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean that's what we'll call it. But uh no, we're recording this a little early. Uh so if if something changed in the life of the church uh between this is Wednesday, I'm gonna be out of town uh Thursday through Monday, and then you're gonna be out of town Monday through Sunday. So we just wanted to record it early and and have it prepped and ready to go. So uh, I'm Damon Jensen-Heitman. I'm one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska, joined by Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska, and glad to be recording the Monday check-in on the Wednesday before Monday. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so the, the Monday check-in, for those who don't know, we take uh, a bit of time, and we take a look at the scripture, some of the scripture that we're going to use for the upcoming Sunday. Now, in this case, it's for technically two Sundays from where we are today, but it's only one Sunday from where you are in your current time stream, right? So, uh, so we'll do that. We'll have a little chat about it, and then we switch gears a little bit and talk about a little bit of life of the church, what's going on at First Pres. Uh, what folks might want to be aware of, how folks can get involved and join in on, on the work of hope being conducted through the community. So um, I forget who's doing opening prayer. Ah, that, now I remember. Me. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> let's, uh, let's join together in prayer. Gracious God, we come before you with the desire to have open hearts and open minds to what it is that your holy word is saying to us today. As we continue this Lenten journey and we dig into the gospel of John today, perhaps your words will confound us. Perhaps they will challenge us. Perhaps we will just scratch our heads. But in the midst of the head scratching and the challenging and the confounding, may we find you there, God. May you meet us there. And may you guide us to where you want us to be. May you guide us to be who you want us to be. May your holy word serve as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, lighting our way in the darkness of the world today. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So for Sunday, March 21st, we are going to continue on. We're, going to, we're continuing on in the lectionary. Excuse me. And we're continuing on in the Gospel of John, as is often the case during the season of Lent. And we are in John 12, verses 20 through 36. And it reads something along these lines. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival, uh, the festival are being referenced here being Passover, were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. 
Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of the world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of the light. After he had said this, he departed and hid from them. Here ends this reading. Uh, Craig, what do you got? Uh, well, just to point out that the very final line of the scripture is uh, something that I would assume you celebrate, Damon. Uh, Damon always likes to point out the times <laughs> that Jesus leaves the crowds and goes off by himself. These are points in Jesus' ministry that Damon celebrates, and so I just wanted to see if you celebrate this point as well. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hide for a little bit. <laughs> Jesus, he he drops this uh, this little mini sermon kind of a thing, just packed full of ideas and concepts <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. Seriously, and then all right. I'm going to go, I'm peacing out for a little while. <laughs> I'm, going to go, I'm going to go hide for a little bit. Yeah. There's, there is a lot going on in this. Um, so the, uh, in, within, the, within the Gospel of John, a little bit of context, this is in our liturgical world, this passage, we read this passage the Sunday before Palm Sunday. In the narrative world of the Gospel of John, this passage takes place after what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Um, so this passage is, is closer to Jesus' death, to trial uh, and death on the cross than Palm Sunday is, uh, yeah. than what we read on Palm Sunday. Yeah, it's an interesting feature of the lectionary. We, we, we occasionally talk about this revised common lectionary, which is um, this the set of readings uh, that is, and I'm not going to use the word prescribed because we, we're not required as Presbyterians to follow the lectionary, but it's a set of readings that uh, you, you read through a significant portion of the Bible over the course of three years. It's on a three-year cycle. And typically um, there's one gospel covered in each year. So there's the year of Matthew, the year of Mark, and the year of Luke. And then John gets interspersed throughout that. Um, and so we're, right now we're actually in the year of Mark. 
Uh, and so much of January and February, when we were when we were reflecting on the gospel passage, we were reflecting on passages from Mark. But uh, the lectionary writers like to drop these John passages in at various points, oftentimes during the season of Lent, uh, because the John text has stories about Jesus that don't appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that they think are relevant to the Lenten journey, as is, I think, this particular passage certainly relevant to our Lenten journey as, as we spend our six weeks in preparation for Holy Week and following Christ to the cross. And this one this one is, is getting us to bump up pretty close to the foot of the cross at this point as Jesus is preparing his disciples, his followers uh, for the death, uh, for his death um, and what that means for them. So uh, yeah, a lot of rich stuff in here, Damon. I mean, there are probably half a dozen sermons at least in this, uh, in this one in these 16 verses. Yeah. yeah, I've read through a few a few commentaries um, from various folks, and it's, you know, sometimes you get a passage, and then you go and look at commentaries, and they pretty much all kind of hit on the same theme, right? Or they, they've picked out the same couple of verses in there that they, then those are the ones that they really want to talk about. This one, folks are all over the place uh, in what they're pulling out and what they're reflecting on. They're reflecting on the single grain uh, and and martyrs and and that sort of thing. They're reflecting on light and darkness. There's they're reflecting on. We get these Greeks um, who why why are they why are they there for the Passover? Are they why did the Greeks sail across the Mediterranean <laughs> to Jerusalem for Passover? What's going on with that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, you know, are they are they are they spiritually curious? people are they folks who used to live in the area and then moved away but are coming back um and so but everybody kind of thinks of them as outsiders now anyway uh we get so we're told there's greeks there who are kind of outsiders we get reminded that philip isn't from the area as well (laughs) Um, so there's this interesting thing going on with that um but go ahead Oh, just the Greeks are outsiders, but they've heard about Jesus and they show up and they want to meet Jesus. And they, so somehow they knew that Philip and Andrew were connected with Jesus. So the Greeks show up and come to Philip and they say, hey, uh, we want to we wish to see Jesus. So Philip goes and checks with Andrew and then Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. Probably they perceive a threat, right? Uh, things are starting to get fired up in the Roman Empire with uh, Jesus and his ministry. And so they're kind of wondering, do, do, do we... Do we tell them where Jesus is or do we, let's go tell Jesus and see what he says. And Jesus, Philip and Andrew maybe perceive a threat of some sort. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So that, I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and Philip, Philip and Andrew do this weird, like phone tree sort of a thing. Uh, And even, even the request, um, so, so one commentary, the request, that word that gets translated as sir, um, could, could as easily be translated as Lord, mm. which is odd that you would refer to this disciple as, as a Lord. Um, and, and this idea of seeing in the Gospel of John, uh, in the Gospel of John, seeing uh, is oftentimes equated with believing, um, that we want to or knowing in a deeper sense, like we want to, we want to know Jesus. We want to learn more about Jesus. Um, 
yeah, there's so many, there's so many kind of hidden layers yeah. to this passage. Well, the, the grain of wheat, um, that that has been turned into a quotation that, as you mentioned, has been used by, by martyrs. Most of my studies around that have been in, in Latin America. And I think of uh, Archbishop mm. Oscar Romero. And uh, it's a quote that's sometimes attributed to him or the folks who are following him because he as you may know, uh, was assassinated in El Salvador when he was the archbishop there. And uh, his followers uh, after that said, uh, you know, they, they killed him and buried him in the ground thinking that was the end of him. They didn't realize he was a seed. Mm. And by burying him in the ground, they planted him and he grew and blossomed. And the relevance there was that it blossomed into eventually the end of the Salvadoran civil war. Uh, based in some form of justice, that which is what Archbishop Romero was advocating for during his life, and so there, I mean, there's some rich stuff there too. Uh, you really could, uh, uh, yeah. And then 27 struck me. So Jesus is talking, I believe, to Philip and Andrew. Says, Maybe my, who knows? <laughs> right now, my soul is troubled. And what should mm -hmm. I say? Father, save me from this hour. Nope. Father, glorify your name. And I, there's just something about the simplicity of that. Uh, should I be saying this? This is what I should, this is what I'm feeling, but nope. Uh, it's all about glorifying God, even in the midst of the struggles, even in the midst of the persecution that Jesus is facing, even in the midst of his impending death, it's father glorify your name. And then when he does that, we of course have a voice coming from heaven, which does not occur very often in the New Testament. I, I talked about this in a sermon in January. Um, when we hear a voice from heaven, the, the, the fun theological term for that is theophany, the, the voice of God. And we get a lot of theophany in the Old Testament. We have very few examples of theophany in the New Testament, um, with the exception of Jesus' baptism and uh, Jesus' transfiguration. And then boom, we, we drop a, a God's voice from heaven coming down but not for Jesus, for those who are around him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they may or may not have understood what was being said. Right. Some right. said, this, well, that was thunder. Uh, right. Some said, well, an angel spoke to him. Yep. Um, so what did the, who is the crowd? That's, are the, are these Greeks that were first there? Are they in the crowd? Are they not? Are they still waiting someplace? Is the crowd just the disciples? Um and they heard something, but who knows what they heard. Um, Jesus provides for them some sort of an explanation, maybe. Um, he says, well, that voice wasn't for me. Uh, it was for you. For you. <laughs> um, but that doesn't necessarily change what they heard. Um, right. And, then, and then, then I love the very humanness of the crowd. Like, this is a crowd that has followed Jesus and are believing in him as the Messiah and see him and Messiah, like the savior, he is the one who will save the people. And so the crowd says, we've heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. You're not going to leave us, Jesus. Like we've decided to follow you putting ourselves at risk, right? We're putting our necks on the line here for you. And so the Messiah remains forever. You're with us. How can you say that the son of man must be mm -hmm. lifted up? What, yeah. who, who is the son of man? Are you talking what? about someone else? Are <laughs> you, is this, is this not you? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Even that, so even that, that initial phrase, um, now my soul is troubled. So I've read in a couple of places that that could as easily be translated as my soul is struck with terror, hmm. which 
adds this whole new, or not new, but different emotional sense to that. And the way that that works in that in 27 is, is different than the way that it is portrayed in the other gospel narratives of that a similar sort of event um, where Jesus is in the other gospels, Jesus is in the garden uh, and he prays that the, may this cup of suffering be taken from me. And in gospel of John, well, no, he doesn't actually pray that. <laughs> He's, it, should, should you want, I could pray that, but I'm not going to. Um, yeah, the, and then we get this, uh, those who love their life uh, will keep it or will lose it. Those who hate their life will keep it. Um, few people in the commentaries really want to take that on. <laughs> so that's what you're going to preach on on Sunday, right, David? <laughs> Maybe. That's, you've decided. David, David often picks the trickiest parts of the text and goes for it. And uh, I mean, so far, you're doing a pretty good job with that, Damon. So, uh, well, I think oftentimes, like, they're the most disturbing parts. Yeah. Right. And so they oftentimes provide sort of the most fodder to to think about I, uh, and make a stew out of, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the, the final verse. I mean, we, uh, we talked about the very, very last words uh, and Damon's love for being an introvert, but uh, <laughs> starting at verse 35, the light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light so the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light so there's a conversion it's not simply um use the light but if you walk in the light you will actually become a you you yourself will reflect the light or generate the light or something because you'll become a child of light and so while you've got me here with you now walk in the light so that you absorb some of that so that when i'm Mm -hmm. no longer with you you're still reflecting that you still have that light with you um yeah if you're a child a child takes on some of the characteristics of their parents, right? right? Whether genetically or by observation, you know, or habit or learned behaviors, right? Yeah. And then in the same way, the disciples will, they would take on some of the characteristics of the light of God. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. the, The Greeks show up and they say, we'd like to see Jesus. We'd like to, know Jesus in that deep sense of seeing um, and Jesus response whether it's addressed to them or addressed to some other crowd that happened to be there as well um, points them to the cross um, if, if folks want to see me then, then this is where I can be found uh, this is where I can be known uh, is in in the suffering of the cross uh, and in the preaching and proclaiming and living that leads towards that sort of rejection by the world. Um, and, it, and it connects back to this, you know, pick up your cross and follow me idea um, that is not always really exciting to think about. 
I mean, it's, it's probably the hardest part of the gospel to preach, right? But it's right there in Jesus' words. And you're right, the, the parallels here between the Mark 8, uh, for those who will follow me will deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. For, uh, for, for you to gain your life, you've got to lose it. And those who lose their life for the sake of the gospel will gain it. And that ties right in with uh, 1225. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, and, and Jesus is about telling us where he is, he's about to die. Yeah. There will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the father will honor. And by serving Jesus, you are self-sacrificially living. Um up to and including death and death on the cross, right? Um, but if that was the only message we ever preached in our church, I don't think the pews would be very full on Sunday mornings. Like, come down to the church where you will die on the cross. Here's a cross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah, I've, I've oftentimes thought about um, in, in connection with baptism, uh, oftentimes folks well, like parents will get like a cross as a baptism gift. Um, so is, a, is an interesting gift to give to, to a child. Um, the, and, I, and I understand the theological significance of it. And I, and I understand, and I understand why that had to happen. I'm not really critiquing that practice. Um, there's just such a, a stark sort of contrast between we have this newborn baby and we're giving them a, a symbol and a sign of death mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 a, and a method of, it was a method of torture in the ancient world. That's what crucifixion was. And, uh, and there's something I think about, about, the, about the life of faith that, that calls us to hold both of these things at the same time. Um, this this way of life that is also a way of death that <laughs> uh, doesn't always really make sense. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've shared this in a Monday check-in before. Um, I've talked about it, I think in some Bible studies I've taught, but um, part of our training as pastors is, is we have to serve as, as hospital chaplains. Um, and so I did my hospital chaplaincy internship at a Catholic hospital. And so there was a, a cross uh, above every patient uh, above the door of every patient room on the inside of the room so if you're lying in your hospital bed and you're looking at the door and you look above the door there's a cross but it was an interesting mix of crosses in this hospital they weren't all consistent it wasn't like going into a hotel and having the same piece of art in every room some of the crosses uh were what you would think of as a typical catholic crucifix with the suffering jesus hanging on the cross um and some of them were empty crosses which is the cross that you more often see in Protestant churches. And then some of them had uh, the risen Christ with arms out, but floating out in front of it, not the suffering Jesus, but the risen Christ sort of almost floating Mm -hmm. in front of the cross. And uh, I was always curious whenever I walked into a patient room and I realized this, I would always look up uh, at that cross and see which one was in which room and, and why. Right, yeah. uh, and there wasn't a why there wasn't, I, I asked the hospital administration, nobody could give me a clear answer, but um, it was amazing to me how often the cross in the room, like if, if, if the patient wanted to talk about that, uh, the cross met us where we were. So if the patient wanted to understand that God can 
sit with them in their suffering, that God understands the depths of human suffering. Um, it was the crucified Jesus hanging on the cross, the passion Jesus. Uh, but if people were seeking hope uh, and the hope of the resurrection, if it meant, you know, no matter where they were in their circumstances, oftentimes it was the empty cross mm-hmm. uh, or it was, it was, it was the, the robed Christ in front of the cross. <laughs> it's just a really interesting thing. And, and I think it raises a good point, Damon, that, that, that you raise that we live in this tension as Christians. And um, sometimes we, we often lean into one side of that or the other, depending upon where we are in our life's journey or, or, or what church background we're from or, or what theological background um, and I, I have found myself in the last 10 years finding uh, more meaning in the, the more Catholic uh, crucifixion representation of Christ on the cross, mm-hmm. um, more so than I did growing up. And part of that is that I grew up in Protestant churches that always had an empty cross. And that, there's a theological reason for that. Like, yeah. There's a reason we in Protestant churches hang empty crosses in our church because we are proclaiming the hope of the resurrection. And it is a symbol of death, but it's also a symbol of hope. Um, but as I worked in Latin America amongst communities that were suffering, they found more hope in a suffering Jesus hanging on the cross than they did in an empty cross because they realized that that meant God was with them in the midst of their suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really big tangent I just went off on. It's not <laughs> directly tied to this John Paul passage, but kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, but it's, but I mean, this all, this passage in particular, it takes place in the shadow of the cross. Um, and, and the whole season of Lent takes place in the shadow of the cross. And, and yeah, so, so this might, I don't always really, it's interesting you talk about that because when I was growing up, like when I was in high school and college, I, the Jesus crucified, I, I was, that meant a lot to me. Um, the, the suffering of Jesus meant a lot to me. Uh, and then as I went sort of later college seminary, I, I kind of moved away from finding a lot of as much meaning and significance in that and found more meaning and significance in the, in the empty cross or in the hope of the resurrection. Um, and now I find myself sort of moving back towards the, <laughs> or maybe, maybe really trying to hold both at the same time, um, I think is, is what it really is. And, and really learning the theological significance of, of both of those things. Uh, and really wanting to to hold them both um, at the same time. So yeah, I um with my my, my dad, uh, I think most folks know, died in an accident in October um, at age seventy one, and uh, that holding both at the same time became very real and very clear for me because. I never believed more clearly in the hope of the resurrection uh, than in the days following my dad's death. Mm-hmm. And I also never needed Jesus more in the days following my dad's death. And knowing that Jesus was accompanying me in my grief of the loss of my dad, and Jesus knew the depths of the human suffering that I was feeling at the loss of my dad, like Jesus suffering on the cross. And so, um, 
in the months of particularly of October and November for me, um, the empty cross and Christ hanging on the cross were never more relevant to me than they had been uh, probably in much of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the, the, the two, I don't even know there was a tension per se, the balance perhaps yeah. that they brought to my own grief process was, was powerful. Um, and I was grateful that I had an understanding of Jesus, both as the human one who suffered as humans suffer and also Jesus as the crucif crucified and risen one who uh, who was resurrected and, and, and represents the hope of the resurrection, which I, I have to believe in. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Lent, I think, brings a lot of that out as well, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt, and and that's part of the part of the idea behind um, you know Lenten practices of um, what's that called? You give something up, fasting. Fasting, yeah. Thank you. Like, but part of that is the 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 suffering. So if you if you're skipping lunch, right? If you're fasting from lunch, right? Uh, then the, part of the idea behind that is then that the hunger that you know, the suffering that you know, um, as a result as a result of choosing that self-sacrificial thing, uh, can help you in some ways to sort of identify with the suffering that Christ um, understood and the, the suffering that Christ went through, and so so yeah, I mean that's that's what Lent is is about so. Um, so I think that there is something in here that will preach. Uh, I am preaching on, on the 21st and I think we're going to sing one or two cross songs, uh, cross hymns is my guess. Uh, and we'll go from there. So. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of lift high the cross. Lift high the cross. Yeah, I'm thinking um, Beneath the Cross of Jesus mm. uh, is, a, is a beautiful one as well. So, yeah, so we'll see. You, you can save Lift High the Cross in, for a Sunday that I'm there if you want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's only so many Sundays in Lent left. Or we'll just repeat it. <laughs> Now could now could lift high the cross be an Easter song? I'd have to go back and look at the other verses. I think so. I will let you know that the Palm Sunday songs have already been picked. I'm sure that they pick themselves. <laughs> I mean, granted, there's only like three Palm Sunday hymns, but still. <laughs> um, no, we're we're going to be blessed with uh, Louis Eckhart on trumpet on Palm Sunday, and so uh, I've already been working with Louis and Linda Volweiler, our organist and music coordinator uh, on our Palm Sunday hymns. So uh, I'm excited for that as well. Um, and I'll be excited to hear what you have to say about this passage on March 21st, David. Yeah, should be interesting. So uh, speaking of other things that are going on at the church, uh, we do have uh, the Lent devotional guide, Lenten devotional guide, uh, still out and available for folks. Greg has a copy of it close by his desk. There it is. That they may all be one. The first stitches. We are about halfway through Lent, uh, but it's not too late. If you haven't picked that up and started reading through it, you it 
it works well with the 40 days of Lent, but it would work well with any other 40 days as well. So uh, don't worry about that too much. And if you have been reading and following along and would like to join in some discussions, we have some, we have three options for you. One is a group that meets Friday mornings at 8 a.m. All of these groups uh, can meet in person and via Zoom. They're also up to meet in that hybrid way. So Fridays at 8 a.m., uh, Sundays at 12 noon, and Tuesdays at 12 noon. So uh, if you'd like to hop in on any of those discussions, you are welcome to do so. Absolutely. And uh, that's just one of the many, many Christian ed offerings we have going on at our church, uh, both uh, seasonally and on an ongoing basis. Um, just to update you what else is going on with Christian ed, we, uh, our children's Christian ed is still being done remotely and more than likely will be done remotely for the rest of this school year and then restart some form of uh, in-person uh, starting in September. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Obviously the safety relative to COVID, not just the safety of our children, but also the safety of our Christian ed volunteers. Um, and so because of that, our director of Christian ed, Steph Brader has been doing a phenomenal job of putting together uh, weekly videos for the kids and sending home packets and activities for the kids. And so if you have a elementary age child Hopefully you've been receiving those videos and also receiving emails that have links uh, to the videos and been receiving the packets at home as well. Uh, she put together a really fun one for Lent uh, that has uh, object lessons every week. And my daughter and I have uh, really enjoyed going through that together. So Steph's doing a great job with that. That's our uh, pre-K to fifth grade. Uh, middle school and high school uh, youth group has uh, started meeting again on Wednesday evenings with uh, face masks and social distancing. They meet from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, Damon leads our high school. Steph Brader leads our middle school. And so far as I know, that's going pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yep, seems to be going well. So... Uh, we also, Forum is meeting during Lent. Dr. Dan Deffenbaugh is leading a Lenten series on the, related to the Eisenheim altarpiece. Uh, for those who may not know, the Eisenheim altarpiece has a depiction of the crucifixion, actually. And within that depiction of the crucifixion are represented uh, various biblical characters. And so Dan is sort of using this as a launching point to talk about some well-known, uh, but maybe slightly misunderstood biblical characters. So uh, we've talked about John the Baptist. We've talked about Mary uh, Magdalene. Mary, mother of Jesus is coming up as well as uh, the beloved disciple. So then um, all of those, those are 915 Sunday mornings via Zoom. If folks would like to hop in, let us know. We can make sure that they have the Zoom link. They are also all recorded and up on the church's YouTube page. So the folks can find them there also. Yeah, and that's such a cool series he's doing. The, the Eisenheim altarpiece uh, predates a lot of literacy. And so it was a teaching tool uh, with these amazing images. It, it's sort of like, uh, well, like before we had screens in church and PowerPoints. This was... <laughs> the way that the priests would help educate uh, the folks using these images. And Dr. Dan Deffenbaugh is doing such a phenomenal job. Um, I've actually tuned in and listened to a couple of the ones, uh, not live because I'm teaching a different Sunday school class at that time, but have gone back to our YouTube channel and listened. And holy cow, uh, it's turned into a great series and Dan's doing a great job. He's really mastered the technology too, which is great. He really mm -hmm. thrives uh, using the technology and sharing images with folks and talking people through stuff. So it's, it's going super well. It also, that, that depiction of Jesus on the cross 
relates really well to what we were just talking about um, because <clears throat> the way that Jesus is represented, um, the, the monastery, the convent where this altarpiece was, uh, its mission was uh, to, as to provide health care to folks in the area. Uh, and folks in the area oftentimes suffered from uh, something called ergot's disease or St. Elmo's fire. And the symptoms that folks would have as a result of having that disease, which was caused by a fungus, um, can be seen represented in Jesus on the cross. And, and so folks would go and they would see the symptoms that they were having represented in Jesus' suffering. It, it's incredibly similar, to, Greg, to what you're talking about in, in South America um, or Central America. Um, and, and so it's, um, so it's, it's really, really interesting um, to take a look at. Yeah. Um, another adult ed opportunity we have is what we call Heirs Apparent. This is a Bible study group that meets on Sunday mornings at 915 uh, and it kind of functions both as a Bible study and also as a small group as folks seek to take care of each other. And uh, I'm helping to lead that for uh, kind of for the season of Lent as well. We're doing a book called Visioneering, uh, written by a pastor named Andy Stanley, which is a study of the book of Nehemiah, uh, overlaid with this notion of how do we set and sustain personal goals for ourselves. So looking at the story of Nehemiah, a minor prophet in the Bible, and comparing that to our own uh, journey in faith and life. So if you'd like to join us for that, uh, do let us know. We can get you the link for that. That meets on Sunday mornings at 9.15 a.m. What else do we have here? Uh, we'll have United Harvest coming up on March 20th. So I was just at a mission committee meeting last night, got a little update from United Harvest. Uh, if folks would like to volunteer, you're obviously more than welcome to. I think in particular, they have a need for volunteers a little bit later in the day. Uh, so if you are a person who maybe likes to sleep in a little bit on a Saturday, you can do that and still volunteer at United Harvest. I know that they still, I think they still want volunteers to sign up um, on, their, on their Facebook page. So you can go to their Facebook page and find that. But I think they uh, are looking for folks particularly at the end, um, so maybe 10 to 12, 10 to 12, 30, um, to kind of help get everything wrapped up and, and cleaned up at the end of the day. So, yeah. Um, for those that don't know already, we have restarted in-person worship. Uh, the South Heartland District Health Department has told us that it is uh, safe to do that so long as we follow some additional precautions. Uh, and so we do require face masks and we are asking folks to let us know if they're coming. Uh, to reserve, it's not a reservation. I don't like the reservation system idea, but basically just to let us know they're coming. And you can do that uh, either by clicking on a link that we've sent out and is available on our YouTube or on our uh, social media, uh, or by calling the church office to let us know that you're going to be here. Uh, we're two weeks into this and it's gone really well so far. By the time you hear this Monday check-in, we will be three weeks in and I won't be able to tell you how last Sunday went because it hasn't happened yet, but um, but, <laughs> but so far, so good. So if you want to join us in person, great. If you want to continue worshiping with us, with us through stay-at-home worship, that is a perfectly faithful option and a way to join us for worship. So either of those are options. And as we cruise into Holy Week, those options are both going to be available for all of our services. And so we will have a Maundy Thursday service uh, on the Thursday before Easter. That is the one traditionally, Maundy is the Latin word for commandments, and it reflects on uh, Jesus, a new commandment I give you to love one another just as I have loved you. 
and includes uh, an optional foot washing ritual. So we'll be doing that on Monday, Thursday uh, at 7 p.m., which will be both in person in our sanctuary as well as uh, available on Facebook Live. We'll do the same thing with our Good Friday service, which focuses on the passion narrative. Damon has put together a really cool service for that that we've done for the last couple of years. And I like it a lot. And I, I'm hoping that that's the one we're going to go with. Is that the plan, Damon? As far as I know, yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, from, from the end of the Good Friday service until sunrise on Easter morning, we hold an Easter prayer vigil here at the church or at home. So you can sign up for a one-hour time slot to either come down and pray in our chapel or to uh, designate an hour that you're going to pray at home. And, uh, and we hold vigil. Uh, this is a, a practice of the historical church, and we're, uh, we're doing that. And then uh, at sunrise on Easter, we end vigil because we're there to celebrate Easter. And that's the exciting thing about is, is our Easter service this year. Uh, we will be able to gather together as a family of faith for Easter. Uh, because of our restrictions on the number of people in our sanctuary, we needed a bigger space. Fortunately, we have a great working relationship with Hastings College, and they have big spaces over there, including the Lynn Farrell Arena, which is where basketball and volleyball are played. And so we will be doing our Easter service in the Lynn Farrell Arena in the Hastings College Sports Complex. And all are welcome. We will have social distancing and face masks at that. But we will also have our choir singing and we'll have the Cathedral Brass playing some of our favorite Easter hymns, some of which probably reflect on the cross as well. Most likely. So anything else we need to tell them about, Damon? No, I don't think so. All right. um, must be time to close with a word of prayer. Sounds good. Loving and gracious God, thank you that you are with us in the, the totality of our lives, in our moments of sorrow and our moments of joy and our moments of contentment and our moments of anxiousness and our moments of certainty and in our moments of doubt. Thank you for the calling that you have placed upon us um, to follow your son, Jesus the Christ. Help us to be able to do so. Um, help us to have the courage to walk where Jesus walked. Help us to have the faith to hold to that path. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. With all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.